0: Hey folks, this is Dr. Gersmar with the Dr. G P Dr. G podcast. I am sitting here today with Gaia. She is going to be entering conventional medical school, so I don't often uh, get a lot of chances to talk with MDs to be. Um, as much as we want to be integrative, work with as many people as possible. Right now, a lot of us face a situation where there's not fantastic communication between uh, you know conventional medical world of MDs. Um, Physical therapists, nurses, and all the the conventional system and the alternative world of naturopathic doctors, chiropractors, and and acupuncturists, and all the rest of us. So it is always a treat um, to sit down with people and talk to them. Um, and uh, you know, I really admire Gaia here for um, you know coming in and learning about a different style. Because at the end of the day, we all have strengths and weaknesses, and the mistake of any provider. Of any stripe or shade is thinking that they can deal with everything and in fact you know alternative providers tend to be worse off in this way than the conventional system so the conventional doctors you know um, because of their training and the way their system is set up often do a much better job of simply saying you know what I don't know about that you're gonna need to see someone else who has that specialty Right. And uh, alternative providers and NDs among them, uh, we sometimes get a little too cocky and think that, you know, well, I can treat anything. And, uh, you know, our more holistic perspective often lets us treat many more things. So we talk a lot about how we're, we're more generalists. Um, you know, someone comes to us, uh, you know, like in my case with a digestive issue, but then they're complaining, you know, a woman is complaining that her her menses or her period is all off. Hey, you know what? A lot of times we we can take care of that too, or maybe someone has headaches, do they really need to go and see a neurologist um, to get their headaches checked out, and uh, many times the answer is no, Uh, but having said that, uh, that can lead us uh, to get very, um, you know, stuck in our own world and not collaborate with other people, so I wanted just to have a little conversation, we're just having an informal piece with Guy here, I thought this might be interesting to you guys, so do you want to say hello?
1: Hi, good to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, what, um, I know you've told me, you know, briefly, but like what what made you interested to come and sit with me and, and see what we do here?
1: Right, so I mentioned that... It- When I was looking up all this kind of stuff about naturopathic doctors, what interested me most was um, getting to the root cause of the problem that a patient is experiencing rather than treating all the symptoms. Um, And so just in my experiences, having an internship at a hospital, I've found that patients uh, can get frustrated because they feel like there's no progress in their treatment. Um, just because they feel like there's random things getting taken care of here and there, but then there's no real progress in what they came in to fix. So I'm just interested in seeing how you guys do that, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, you know, what I always say is, look, there. in my mind, this is how I look at it. There are really people who have different needs, right? So there's there's the acute emergency if you will kind of the battlefield medicine which is like someone's bleeding something is really broken or someone's life is in danger right and and the conventional system md's hospitals all of this do an absolutely fantastic job at treating those issues like if you come and see me and your arm is falling off you're you're probably just going to die right i mean like herbs and diet changes and all of these things are not the right medicine for treating all of that, right? And But the problem is so much of, of what so many of us experience on a day-to-day basis now are not those, you know, traumatic or emergency situations, but just things that, that hurt our quality of life or our, our long-term well-being, right? If you have irritable bowel syndrome, just to pick on that again, you know, you're not going to die. Right. There is, you know, they can scope you and scan you and, and do all that. And, you know, I mean, the hallmark of IBS is they don't find anything. Right. And uh, but, but that's not to say there's not a problem and the person's not suffering and, uh, you know, it, it affects their quality of life. Right. And so, you know, that's where we find that the conventional system as it stands right now just does a really terrible job. You know, and patients are either given antidepressants and told like, "Sorry, it sucks," uh, you know, or uh, or they're just sort of, you know, uh, ushered out of the office without without any real help, right? So for me, the true integration is not necessarily, um, you know, that that one or either of us, uh, these two our two professions, the MDS or NDS, a need to necessarily. Um, how am I trying to say this right? It's more so recognizing what we're really good at and referring back and forth. When someone's in bad shape, um, they need really kind of urgent care, stabilization, all of that, then they need to, you know, we need to get them out of our office and, and into an MD's office or hospital or something like that, right? When someone has been stabilized, is in good shape, uh, you know, in terms of, 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 risk to their life and limb and everything um then they need to come over to more of our system of medicine to talk about what they need to do on a day-to-day basis and and getting the whole body working better getting you know what you were talking about earlier kind of to the the root cause
1: so So it's more about like coexisting and for different i guess i hope that when i am a doctor in the future Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we would collaborate more you know more communication between the different fields and od or you know right
0: well, I think so. I mean, that would be lovely, you know, and, and the good news is, look, you know, younger doctors like you're going to be and doctors we're seeing out there who are younger, are often much more open to what we're doing. Right. Um, It's mainly the the older doctors who have been in practice a long time who think that we're we're just crazy. And, uh, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the only real uh, my favorite is there is no alternative or or conventional medicine. There's only medicine that which works and everything else is junk. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's just an incredibly um, (sighs) prideful. You know, statement. So, um, you know, look, I could ramble on and I often do. Um, The whole point of having you here is like, what you know, what are your questions? Like, you know, some of the people listening to this will obviously, you know, know this stuff kind of up and down, but they just want to listen to me. But um, a lot of people, the whole point is, you know, so few people still know. That there's really even any other way to do something, and uh, as someone who uh, you said earlier, you know you'd never been to an naturopath before, and um, but it, but it's interesting to you. So, what type of questions do you have? What can I answer for you?
1: So I am. So actually, one of the first questions I have is what's the kind of like sustainability for the certain like medicines and treatments that you give versus like conventional pharmaceuticals? Mm-hmm. Cause I know that some, you know, some like antidepressants stuff like that, yeah. uh, and anxiety have so many awful side effects. Right. So is it like attractive to you to use something other than that? And you think it's more sustainable for the patient? What do sure. you think about that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, look, that there's a few great questions that are, that are built into that statement. And so, Obviously, one is, you know, I, I know all doctors want to get to the root of what the issue is, but, you know, the, the joke that's out there, right, is depression isn't a Prozac deficiency or anxiety is not a clonazepam deficiency, right? Those medicines can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. They can help stabilize a patient and, you know, some people, um, you know, obviously there's degrees of depression, anxiety, all these other issues for people, right? And some people, um, they you know, they would be a danger to themselves and others without without some medication on board but fundamentally the question is like why is someone depressed mm-hmm. right and we got to this like a 10 minute visit you know for someone coming in talking about their depression isn't isn't enough time to really know what's actually going on for a person right because right. right? there's normal depression we, we, uh, we talk about people like you know i had a patient who i saw the other week her her mom had died right and she was saying you know i'm, I'm depressed and it was like in some way good, you know? I mean, that's a normal reaction to a bad circumstance. And, you know, my experience, a lot of my colleagues has been, so if you go in and you just say, you know, I'm really sad and and they're just like, great, here's some, you know, Prozac or Celexa or Paxil or whatever it is, right? And the person takes it and they say, you know, actually I feel better Right. My experience has been that someone will come into someone like me a ways down the road and say, hey, I've been taking, you know, again, whatever Prozac for five years now or 10 years or, you know, I really would like to get off of this medication. Right. And so we go through a process and wean them off the medication. And my experience has been all of a sudden that grief again comes back for them because they've never processed or integrated that grief. Right. And so that's fine. Look, if the grief is so debilitating or the sadness or the whatever is so debilitating for someone, then they may need that medication. Right. But they're not actually fixing the problem. Instead, grieving correctly, you know, whether it's getting some counseling, going to support groups, taking some time, just literally some time to go through that process you know is often often the key and then just the flip side is sometimes people have biochemical issues right right and a lot of times, you know, is it like, well, are they deficient in nutri, you know, various nutrients? Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've looked into this, but um, you know, folate um, is often required to create the neurotransmitters, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this issue over the last few years; it's come up the the MTHFR or mutations in the methylation pathways, um, and um, you know if that's an issue for someone and the answer may be that they need more methylated folate so that they can the, their brain functions correctly and can produce these neurotransmitters and and sometimes you know um, we find that that has much better antidepressive effect than than like Prozac for example so I mean there's there's a lot more pieces but fundamentally look sustainability wise um those medications are like crutches Uh and crutches. Like if you break your leg and you're walking around on crutches, like those are incredibly helpful. But if all we say is, okay, great. You broke your leg. Now you're just going to walk around on crutches for the rest of your life. Like we'd rather not, you know what I mean? Like, so these medicines have their place and it's not that I'm pro or anti medicine, but when it comes to things like depression or anxiety and, and sustainability, it's, can you figure out why a person is, anxious or depressed to start with and then can you can you help fix it and sometimes the answer can be simple like giving some nutrients or doing these things and sometimes the answer is well i'm sorry you have to go through your grieving process Mm -hmm. or dealing with your anxiety and and get to the other side of that okay Right. So, um, you know, and that doesn't fit very well in a short office visit where you're, you know, right. you're only given a few minutes or, um, you know, as a psychiatrist, you're only given X visits, you know, you have, I don't know, I'm, you know, five visits or 10 visits and, and maybe that works, mm-hmm. but maybe this person needs more care than that and, and needs more, more time to process through their stuff. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that that's how we try to look at it.
1: Okay. And then, so just because I don't know anything about this sure. kind of stuff, yeah. what kind of like evidence based like herbal or homeopathic remedies are there?
0: Yeah. Well, so this talks gets into the whole thing about, you know, what constitutes evidence, right? Right. Okay. Because evidence-based medicine is a very good thing. Like we want to have some rationale for why we're doing what we're doing. Uh Right. But the problem is that evidence-based, if you look back into the 70s, when the whole concept of evidence-based medicine was first floated, the idea was that The the primary evidence would be clinical experience for people. So what are doctors finding, both as individuals and the communities, is effective treatment for people? And then on top of that clinical evidence, you would start to layer, well, what is the scientific evidence? Like, what is the literature telling us? Like, are there studies to back up the use of what you're doing? Does it make sense? Because look, you know, clinical experience can be wrong sometimes. I mean, it's like, well, we've always done it this way. And uh, then you look and you see like one example, right, was knee surgeries, right? A ways back, everyone was doing knee surgeries and people were getting better, like their knee pain was going away and they were feeling better. And then they did this big study on it and they found that actually it wasn't any bad. It was just placebo, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like that sham surgery where they were just making an incision and then not and then stitching them back up, they got just as well as when they actually uh-huh. did the surgery, right? Mm-hmm. So this is an example of hey clinically doctors are saying, look, we send people over for knee surgery and they get better, right? And then they actually do you know a, a real if you will scientific study on it and they find oh actually it doesn't work as well. So then they phase it out, right? So that's an example of when the system like works the way it's supposed to. But the problem is evidence based medicine has been I hate to use terms like this, but, you know, has been kind of co-opted. And now it's changed from the primary criteria is the clinician. What are what are they finding is helping people to the clinician is now bound by what does the scientific literature say works for people. Right. So when it comes to like herbs, for example, the use of herbs, there are a handful of herbs that have been shown to be helpful in the scientific literature, and what we find is many MDs who M medical doctor MDs who are using herbs will use about three or four or five different herbs because they've been well studied, like St. John's Wort, for example. Okay. As there's you know a fairly robust amount of literature on St. John's Wort, right? Mm-hmm. But um, when we you know restrict things. Only to what's been shown by, by double-blind, placebo-controlled studies, the fact is those studies are really freaking expensive, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, most of the supplement manufacturers or, you know, people who are selling herbs or just doctors out there using them don't have the money to fund trials. And so, you know, the common, the common thing in that criteria of evidence-based medicine, well, there's no studies to prove it, so therefore, like, you know, I can't use that medicine, right? So for me, I like evidence-based medicine just as much as anybody, but there I, I consider there to be four, four different kinds of evidence. The first is clinical experience. And so at the end of the day, Look, you know, studies are most often depending on the on the trials are often done on guys, which doesn't that helpful for all the women out there. Right. Because men and women um, were mostly the same, but we're a little bit different. Right. And so what we're finding is, um, you know, things affect men and women just a little bit differently right Mm -hmm. and then kids and most of the studies are done on people kind of either younger like college-age students or on kind of middle-aged people so how does that can that generalize out to kids and to you know older people Mm -hmm. the answer is well no not really you know because again um you know mostly we're the same but the way kids respond to things the way people you know 60 70 80 90 respond to things are a little bit differently than you know people in their middle age so uh, hang on, I, I got off on a tangent there. So, you know, uh, the, so four different, so, cl- oh, right, that's where I was going, right? So at the end of the day, even if we're drawing on the scientific literature, it still has to be individualized to the patient sitting in front of you. Because you may say, hey, look, this particular thing at this particular dose for this particular duration was shown in this study to be effective. But you've still got a person sitting in front of you. And if that person at that dose, at that duration, like isn't getting the results, it doesn't matter what the scientific sure, literature yeah. says for someone, right? So for me, it's always clinical experience first, scientific literature second, then there's traditional usage third, right? So this goes both ways. You can't over under bias it. But look, if, an, you know, we have medical traditions from other parts of the world that have been using therapies for hundreds or sometimes maybe thousands of years. That doesn't always mean that they're right, right? The same way the knee surgery, while well, someone might have been prescribing this herb for this issue for hundreds or thousands of years, and actually it's not very effective, right? But but through placebo or whatever, right? It came into tradition, well, you use this for that. So, but at the same time, we can't ignore it as well. Look, if people have been using it for hundreds of years and finding success with it, there's a real chance that that thing was useful at the very least probably wasn't that harmful because like they would have or should have figured it out in that time right and then there's that kind so that's three so uh clinical experience scientific evidence and traditional usage and so in our herbs we're relying more heavily on traditional usage than to inform clinical use and then where we can pulling in as much scientific literature evidence as we can. And then the fourth, which is kind of that ineffable ineffable, um, kind of intuition, which is just, I don't know, the person's in front of me, I'm in front of the person, something kind of clicks somewhere in my mind, which just says, you know what, I think this would really help this person. And I maybe I can't nail it down to anything in particular. But I, I am also, you know, a fan of, of that kind of non-conscious, and I mean, however you want to frame that, uh, a piece of things for people too. Mm-hmm. So look, in a perfect world, which it almost never is, you have someone sitting in front of you with a problem, and clinically you say, hey, you know, I've seen this work for your issue. Uh, my colleagues have also seen this work. We have some scientific literature that says that this is helpful. Traditional usage, you know, says for hundreds of years people have been doing this thing and helping this issue and then kind of that 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 intuitive aspect clicks in and says, you know, I think this would be really helpful. So we're always trying to navigate around okay. some part of that. The trick for me is not getting locked in to the paradigm that says the only tools that are that we can use are those that have proof in the scientific literature. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what you'll find as you go through, you know, your MD training is a lot of things that, M- while MDs like bl- bludgeon a lot of people with the EBM or evidence-based medicine, you'll find a lot of their therapies don't have mm-hmm. adequate evidence behind it. I mean, you go to look up a drug and you look at mechanism of action and it says unknown. Oh right, right. So like, okay, you're using something, you have no idea how it works. Right. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like calm down on the on the evidence based medicine. Mm-hmm. Like we're here to help people at the end of the day are the therapies that we're using helpful Mm -hmm. are they harmful are they not really doing anything and 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 that's we need our evidence and we need more science right we need more good science done on some of this stuff Mm -hmm. uh so yeah that's my ramble man is that (laughs) yeah
1: that answered my question good good
0: so what else you got
1: um well so also another thing was that i've read that some naturopathic doctors don't believe in vaccinations and immunizations yeah and so i know it's controversial but i was just wondering what you thought about that
0: oh man this is the million dollar question right this gets this gets everybody into a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. right like a lot of things i mean my my i don't want to get into a big deal here because this will freak everybody out one way or another but look the bottom line is um You know, fundamentally, uh, either side. So, look, you know, I personally believe vaccines have helped a lot of people. Uh, They've been one factor among many uh, that have cut the rate of infectious disease. But I also think, you know, both people saying, hey, the reason we don't have polio or we don't have measles or we don't have these things is is only because of vaccines that that's also naive. Right. I mean, in my opinion, the single biggest public health measure that's cut down on infectious disease in this country are sewers, sanitation, mm-hmm. right? Clean water and not having sewage running through the streets. Okay. Right. I would rather, you know, all vaccines go away, all antibiotics go away, everything else and have, you know, clean water and sewage and everything. Uh, but we're really grateful for these other factors as well. So we need to not be dogmatic and say, like, you know, vaccines are the worst thing on the face of the earth or they're the miracle thing that has, you know, has zero side effects whatsoever. Because, look, fundamentally, some people are harmed by vaccines. Right. So on one side, we have people saying, you know, they hurt everybody, which just does not seem to be there's there's no evidence that says that vaccines are bad for everybody. I mean, most people get them and they don't have any negative effects from them. Um, And then the other side that says, you know, basically no one ever gets hurt by these things. And that's just not true either. Right. So fundamentally, this is a difficult decision because this is, again, in terms of public health, we're looking at the health of the whole population. Right. And whenever we're looking at public health, we're saying, well, this would help most people at the expense of some people and those are decisions i mean it's just like going off to war right you're trying to make a decision to hurt uh, you know that, that gives you when you're putting troops out into the field or whatever you're trying to a win and b hurt as few people as possible now often to do that you have to go and sacrifice some of your people to achieve your goals right? Good for the army as a whole, totally sucks for those handful of people that end up getting sacrificed to, mm. to, for your goals. Well, public health, in my mind, is a lot like that, too. I mean, you're looking at saying, okay, of these millions of people, what's going to help the vast majority, knowing that, you know, you're going to end up hurting some people in the process. However, when we are clinicians, and we're looking at the people sitting in front of us, we also have to say like, look, is this the, for this individual in front of me, is this the right choice? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so this is just, it gets really sticky. And for me, you know, if there's a history of, you know, neurologic issues, right? Or detox issues or immune dysfunction, then my, my two senses we need to consider carefully whether this is a person that might be hurt by administering these vaccines. Right. And uh, and 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 I'll I'll end it there because I'm sure anybody who's listening is probably already there's people on both sides who are already like screaming at their uh, at their computer or whatever about how how bad I am. But the bottom line to me is, look, there's some nuance there and either side that wants to deny that there's any nuance. It's either, you know, no one should get any vaccines or everyone, you know, should get vaccines no matter what. I think, you know, both of those arguments are going to uh, going to result in people getting hurt. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, but yes, there are NDs, you know, you will find them. There was a group uh, that was just started. I saw just recently, you know, NDs for vaccines, very specifically coming out, um, you know, aggressively in favor of vaccines. And then you're going to find many NDs also who are very anti-vaccine. Right. Um, we're a very, uh, the, the good news, bad news about NDs um, is that we are a very uh, um, diverse mm-hmm. population. You know, you will find NDs um, all over the spectrum in terms of what therapies they use, kind of how they approach patients, uh, what they tend to believe uh You know so we're very we're mds in general kind of have a party line and and somewhat at least other than mavericks kind of way out on one side or another most mds sort of fall in the middle right nds we're just kind of all over the place which is a a strength that we have like right i'll just say this to people out there if you've been to an nd you really like kind of our general approach, but the person that you saw really didn't gel with you. Either, um, you know, their belief system was just not what worked for you, the way they approached uh, your care, uh, the type of tests they wanted to do, all that kind of stuff, whether they were, you know, very science-based or or completely, you know, uh, on the other end of the spectrum. If it really didn't appeal to you, um, I'll ask you, please don't judge Our entire profession by that experience, Um, you know, do your research, kind of look at look out on the Internet or interview some other NDs and and find one who has an approach uh, that that better meshes with your needs. Um, Because at the end of the day, right, uh, your relationship with your doctor should be a relationship, right? Not just like a car mechanic, uh, Mm -hmm. pretty much like cars broken. You take your car in, you just say fix it and Mm -hmm. uh, and they give it back to you. I mean, that is not. Not how medicine works. Right. You know, uh, and, um, you know, it's one thing if you're just consulting with a specialist who's just going to, uh, you know, do an evaluation and, and give you their feedback. And, and basically that's the end of your relationship with them. But, um, you know, I, I'm a huge believer that we need to have, a, you know, a healthcare team on our side. Um, you may not see them constantly, but, you know, people you should be checking in with uh, at least regularly and uh, You know getting their help and their guidance and and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, yeah answer your question. Yeah <laughs> uh, We got a few more minutes. So like what else? Uh,
1: one of my last questions that I had mm-hmm. was um, Just in deciding my own path to I think this will be helpful. Yeah, what was your motivation to do? ND versus MD or yeah. OD because yeah. there's lots of different kinds of doctors. So yeah. what was your motivation? For-
0: yeah, you know, so I, I mean, people know my story, or at least I, I think so. Just super briefly, um, you know, I was in college and uh, with a philosophy major, which always makes your parents super happy when you when you pick a major like that, right? Uh, but um, I really liked the logical thinking, the critical thinking, evaluating issues, um, you know, the discussions with people, and kind of the deep thinking that was involved, and that that's what landed me in that field. Um, my dad suffered a really bad stroke and I had to be his caretaker for a while and so I was in and out of all the different aspects of the medical system from the hospital to, to rehab to, you know, visits and, and all those bits and pieces and um, I started doing a lot of research and looking into medicine, like like many people, right, we have a story that gets mm-hmm. us involved and. Um, when that whole experience ended, I realized uh, the, the track I had been on before, I was going to become a professor and write and do all that stuff uh, just didn't interest me anymore. And so I was going to, I thought I'd get into medicine. And so my first thought was I'll go be an MD, right? And uh, I went and interviewed a number of MDs uh, about their experience. And I knew um, from my time with my dad. So we had explored a lot of alternative options from acupuncture to you know neurofeedback to a whole host of stuff looking for what would be helpful for him. So I knew I wanted to do that stuff as well. And so I went and talked with, uh, with a handful of, uh, MDs and, uh, they were very honest with me and actually persuaded me not to, not to follow that path. Yeah. Yeah. They said, listen, the reality is you're going to go to medical school. Um, You're not going to do any of that alternative stuff uh, because this was, you know, I don't I don't know what it is now, but a number of years ago, you're not going to do any of that stuff. Uh, You know, then you're going to go through your residency, then you're going to come out the other side. And then if you want to do this alternative stuff, then you're going to have to get more training or retraining to do, you know, all the alternative stuff. And it's a long path. And um, it's probably, you know, them listening to me, it's probably not what's going to make you happy. And so. um, OK. Um, all that meant that I didn't uh, pursue uh, my MD uh, studies. And um... all right, so I explored, um, you know, chiropractic and osteopathic and a variety of different fields, trying to find uh, what would be a good fit for me. And then through a friend of a friend, I discovered naturopathic medicine. I explored it more and I said, you know, this is really what I'm looking for, right? We have the the grounding in science, and we do all the biochem and pathology and everything else that that MDs do. Uh, but then, instead of having a focus on drugs and surgery, emergency medicine, which just doesn't interest me, uh, then we go into you know nutrition and herbs and nutrients and all these other aspects, which were really where my interest lay. Because, you know, frankly, when my dad, when I was caretaking my dad, I was really looking around for. Uh, you know, a well-trained practitioner who could help me bridge the gap, right? The MDs that I went to were like, that stuff's junk. Don't bother with it. You know, the acupuncturist knew acupuncture. But then when I'd ask about, you know, well, what about this or that or the other thing? Well, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I couldn't find anybody who could guide me to what I needed to do. And I wanted to be that provider for people. So, um, So that's why I chose you know, becoming an ND. And, um, you know, I'll say to anybody out there who's thinking of being in the field, um, you know, it is tremendously rewarding, but, but here's the dark side. I always tell, you know, all the, the students who come through, you have to really know what you're getting into. Okay. Medicine in general, but no matter what, uh, what, what letters you have after your name is, is a really difficult field, right? Not saying any other job is easy for people, but, um, it's a difficult field. You know, you go to school for a long time. You rack up a lot of debt behind your, your name, you know. Um, and again, I understand college in general racks up a lot of debt for people these days, but you take on a lot more debt for people. Um, and the good news is as an m D. Um, you know, there are a lot of loan forgiveness programs, depending on where you go, um, you know, your salary is often a lot higher than as an ND. So I know many MDs, a lot of the M and the N can get a little confusing here, um, you know, work hard and typically pay off their debt pretty quickly. You know, within five to 10 years, I know many doctors end up paying off their debt as a naturopath ND, um, you know, our earning potential is often a lot less, uh, at least unless you're savvy and you really can get after it. Um, and so often we're looking at 20 to 30 years to pay off the same the same debt. And that's a big deal. Right. So as an N.D. right now, 2016. Uh, We really don't have access to hospitals, to major medical systems. Uh, We are often operating, you know, outside of the conventional system, which means, uh, you know, the responsibility falls on us. Right, And so the need to be, what I was talking about, Guy, before before we started is, you know, as an ND, often we have to, not only do you have to be a doctor, but you have to be a business person as well. Like you have to know how to run your business, um, you know, pay your bills, pay your employees, market yourself so that people can know that you exist and come and see you. Um, Often, uh, I know it's a dirty word for a lot of people, you have to be able to sell. And I just mean simply convince people that, you know, this is their problem and this is what they need to do and what's going to be involved in that. And so all of these skills, in addition to being a doctor. Now, the good part about being an ND, so the bad part about being an ND is you got to do all this extra stuff, right? As an MD, you don't. But I'll just tell you, you know, I talk to a lot of MDs who are very frustrated because the system isn't letting them practice the way they want to. You know, right, right. all the people out there, MDs do not enjoy having 10-minute long office visits. Like, they, they are very frustrated that they can't provide the quality of care that their patients need, right? They don't like seeing 20 or 30 patients a day, you know? They don't like all the paperwork and all the bureaucracy and everything else that they have to deal with either. Uh, but the current system that we have available forces them to do that. You know, uh, the good news is that system also helps take. I mean, it takes care of them in the sense that it pays them a paycheck and it have. You know, it helps them with a, a lot of this stuff. So they have as an MD, you have that advantage, but you also are straightjacketed. And you know, the MDs out there um, that you see that are bucking the trend, they're they're in the same boat. I mean, they have to get you know a different education from what they've what what they've learned, right? And um, you know, if they're stepping outside the system, they need to have. The same kind of business and entrepreneurial skills that are necessary to to run a business right as an nd of course um the advantage is that we have much more freedom so where I was saying earlier, NDs are a very varied lot of people. Um, that's because our profession allows us to be so. So if you like this or don't like that or, you know, look, if you don't like vaccines, uh, you can say that. And the ND profession is not going to kick you out or strip your license from you or anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that might happen to some M right if they take those those viewpoints um but on the flip side uh anybody here who's thinking of going to n d school we have a high attrition rate like a lot of people find that they just can't make it right because again without those business skills um it, it's a hard road to yeah. hoe you know so there's no nothing perfect like anything folks there is no uh, there's no perfect path Right. And I seriously I salute Gaia for, um, you know, wanting to get into medicine. I salute her for, you know, thinking of being an M.D., but stepping out and talking to an N.D. And yes, um, you know, we need more collaboration. Right. The end of the day, um, it shouldn't be about market share and and patients and dogma. And it should be about what is the best care for the patient. And so um, sometimes the best care for the patient is drugs people need drugs, right? Often, however, um, you know, the the, the need really starts with how are people living their lives, right? And so what are they eating? Uh, You know, are they getting some movement or regular exercise? Are they sleeping well? You know, are they managing their stress appropriately? Do they have good social support networks in their life? Um, You know, good, you know, mental, emotional health, um, whether that's dealing with, you know, a, a quote-unquote physical issue like autoimmunity or uh, gut dysfunction, a mental issue like depression, you know, all, all of these things, um, there's a place for all of it. So um, it's not us uh, NDs versus MDs or the other way around. It's really how can we find this balance that best, best supports patients? Yeah?
1: Yeah, great. Thank I appreciate your <laughs> ba- balanced viewpoints. And, yeah.
0: Well, you try, you know, because, again— it's about what takes care of patients. And when we have dogma, one way or the other, you know, both MDs or NDs saying, "My way is the way it hurts patients." right? Because some people need it can do best with just just conventional medicine, and some people can do best with just whatever you want to call it natural medicine but most people need a combination of both of those things and um, you know if we hold on to our dogma we hurt patients and fundamentally at the end of the day you know we do all of this because we want to take care of people Right. yeah Mm -hmm. any last questions before we wrap up
1: I think you answered a lot of my questions actually
0: good well listen folks I hope this has been helpful for you guys too Listen, we need our MDs and our NDs to cooperate with one another. So I highly encourage you, look, most MDs, you know, either uh, on accident or on purpose are are blind to what their patients are doing. So a lot of people are taking supplements and herbs and doing sort of non-conventional therapies. And most of the time, your MD, you know, if an MD is your primary doctor, uh, they have no idea. Right. Either because their visit is so short, they really just don't have time to ask you or understand what's going on or because, you know, you either think or know that they're going to be negative about those therapies. So you just don't bother telling them in the first place. Right. And I encourage you as much as you can, um, you know, to help educate your M.D., Uh, that these therapies exist and that they're there and that, you know, the more they hear about them and the more um, they hear about your success with them, uh, hopefully that will help, you know, that will slowly open minds and uh, you know, make, Uh, them more likely to work with us. And then on the other side, you know, if you're working with a natural provider, an ND, acupuncturist, chiropractor, whoever it might be, you know, I highly encourage you um, to encourage that provider to also communicate with your MD as well. Because it, it, you know, as alternative providers, we like to blame the conventional system a lot. Um, And they have a lot to atone for, right? But at the same time, um, you know, the problem lies with us as well. and so really, it, it's, you know, about um, fostering communication. And, um, you know, while it shouldn't be your job as the patient to do that, the reality is, um, you know, y- you have the money, basically, right? And, uh, and, you know, we as doctors work for you guys. So if you start demanding more um, communication of both of us, then, then that's going to start happening. All right. I hope this has been helpful for folks, guys. If you uh, you know have issues uh, or uh, need some help, I encourage you come check us out. Um, our uh, website is www.aspire. That's A S P I R E. Aspire Natural Health, all one word. So www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. You check us out on Facebook at facebook.com/aspirenaturalhealth, or check out our YouTube channel as well. If you just search for Aspire Natural Health. You'll find it there. We put out lots of great information. Um, Our goal is to put something out every week. So check us out, subscribe, and uh, be in touch. All right? We focus on helping people with autoimmune diseases, gut dysfunctions, and other hard-to-treat cases. So if you've been to multiple other doctors, they can't figure you out, you haven't been able to get any help, uh, please give us a call. See if we can help you out. All right? We are always, always striving to learn more so we can do better by our patients. Until next time, folks, thanks for listening and Take care.